Good morning, everybody. Hi, I'm uh, Paul Murphy, and uh, my favorite church is K2. I've been uh, attending church for here for about uh, five years, and uh, as the t-shirts say, it's flippin' awesome, right? So any, any uh, parents here willing to say they have a favorite child? Wow, brave. Okay, since we're all, we're all kids, right? Do y'all have a favorite parent? Not, not so many hands. Um, so today we're going to be talking about how God does not have any favorites, uh, even though we do. Um, right now, I, uh, my, my day job, so to speak, is I work at the Attorney General's office. And so I work with lawyers, reporters, and politicians. Everybody's favorite, right? No? You know, I, I checked a Gallup poll, and they, they, they check each year to see who, who do people trust, who do people feel are honest, who's ethical. Uh, how do you think uh, politicians, lawyers, and reporters fared? Not really well. So uh, according to the Gallup poll, 24% of people thought that reporters were honest and ethical. 19% thought that lawyers were honest and ethical. 12% thought that politicians were honest and ethical. So who, who do people think is honest and ethical? If you were to guess, who? Doctors and librarians. Good, good, good guess, but not right. Are you a doctor and a librarian? <laughs> oh, just a librarian. Any other guesses? Nurses is actually the correct answer. 85% of the people think that nurses are honest and ethical. Guess who came in the, the very lowest of the low? No, no, pastors, <laughs> pastors actually did okay. Pastors, 52%, which is actually kind of sad. 52% thought that, that uh, religious leaders were honest and ethical. But 8% of all people thought that car salespeople were honest and ethical. Any, any car salespeople out here? Okay, if you're, if you're out there, I feel your pain. So let's, uh, let's talk about another uh, profession that gets uh, a, a bad rap, so to speak, uh, debt collectors. Any, I'm, I'm assuming that some of you have been in debt at one time. I'm, I'm assuming that a couple of you have been involved with a debt collector. I have. Uh, one time we sent in our mortgage payment late. Once, once we sent our mortgage payment in late. And I got a call and they go, uh, is this Paul Murphy? And I said, yeah, yeah. He says, well, this is so-and-so. We're with the mortgage company. Why are you such a terrible person? And so one, one late payment, suddenly I was a terrible person. So I understand, uh, you know, I had one call like this, but for someone who's really in debt and who gets a lot of calls from debt collectors, it could be very painful. Um, in my previous job, I used to be a reporter at Channel 4, and it was my job to go to the courthouse every day, check the baskets, who had been charged with a crime, see what lawsuits had been filed. And when I'd walk to the courthouse, I would notice on the wall that these hundreds of papers all posted up on the wall for a constable cell. And a constable cell is like a forced yard cell. Uh, they would post a sign saying, we're gonna be at such and such address at such and such time, and we're gonna come into that person's house and start selling their belongings until a debt is satisfied. Scary, huh? So, but I, I really didn't know about it. I didn't understand how the process worked. So I decided to go along with a camera and we walked door to door to each house where they said they were going to have a constable cell. I went to 12 different homes and 12 homes where there never was a constable cell. 
The people who lived there weren't notified about it. They had never heard about it. The people said, well, that person used to live here, but they don't live here anymore. And so what I found out is that constable sales actually really didn't even take place. I did meet one woman, though, and she had a uh, fast food bill. She bought a hamburger, and the bill was for $7. And uh, that $7 bill, the, the check bounced, and it went from $7 to $2,000 because of the, the, the postings, the notices, the constable cells, the, the different legal things that they had taken against her. And so this woman who was poor just couldn't get out of debt. She went from debtor to worse because of the system that seemed to really hurt poor people. So I went and talked to the constable about it. I said, you know, I, I went to, to attend all of your constable cells and I said, well, how many do you think there were? And he says, oh, probably not too many. And I, I said, well, actually there weren't any. There wasn't a single constable cell. He says, well, that doesn't surprise me. We try to work it out so that they don't have a constable cell. But what they were doing was every time they posted constable cell, their debt kept getting higher and higher and higher. This guy was unapologetic for what he was doing to the poor. He said what he was doing was illegal, but it just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem right. And so the reason I tell you this story is I'm going to be telling you about a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Some people, you may know about it. But uh, Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector during the time of Christ. And he worked for the Roman government. He was a Jew, but it was his job to go collect taxes from the Jews. And he could take from them whatever they want. He could take a $7 bill and make it $2,000. So we're going to read uh, chapters Luke, chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So let me show the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming his way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions to the poor, and, I, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in verses 1 through 4, we see this wealthy tax collector, Zacchaeus, running and climbing a tree to see Jesus. So the number one lesson here is, is that unlikely people seek Jesus. People you would never expect to be intrigued or want to know about Jesus seem to want to follow him. And I've also found that to be the, the truth about people who don't even like God. They don't want to talk about God, but if you bring up Jesus, they're willing to talk about Jesus. There is something compelling about Jesus and who he was and how he changed history that people want to know about Jesus. So we have Zacchaeus, a man consumed by money, uh, power, a tax collector who cheated the Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government, who takes his intense interest in Jesus. So I mentioned that he was kind of like the constables or a tax collector that we see today, but I think he was seen as much more evil than this. If you think about during the times of World War II, 
uh, it would be like a Frenchman collecting taxes for the Nazis because he collected for this oppressive government. We also see that Zacchaeus is too slow, he's too short, and he's too hated to catch up with Jesus. He was probably crass, arrogant, a bully. He probably took joy like this constable did in robbing the poor. Zacchaeus created most of the problems for himself, and most people, including Jesus' disciples, probably didn't want a guy like Zacchaeus to have any time with Jesus. But think about who Jesus was at this time. This was at the height of Jesus' popularity. This was when crowds were dying to see him. Do uh, you remember Dave talking about how Jesus had to get on a boat just to get away from the crowds? He was uh, curing the sick. He was raising people from the dead. He was providing people with these amazing lessons. He was feeding them with uh, bread, fish, wine. Everybody, in fact, one scripture says everybody was just mad about Jesus. And I was trying to think, what would that be like today? What would it be like to have a crowd that just was intensely trying to uh, be with someone? So I have a video to show you what it, what it might have been like. I'm assuming you know who that is, right? <laughs> yeah, is it just me or is Jesus cooler than Justin Bieber? <laughs> Jesus really is cooler than anybody. Although, you know, I do admire the way he flips his hair and I'm trying to work it into my act, but I, I haven't quite got it yet. But, it, but it's interesting, Zacchaeus, like these screaming girls, is chasing after Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. And then what's the reaction to the crowd? The crowd is saying, in fact, let's look at verse seven again. It says, uh, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Have you, any of you ever been in that situation? I mean, it almost seems like the scene out of every high school movie. It's like, so-and-so's gonna go sit with that person? Uh, have you ever been with someone that people just started looking at you like, why are you hanging out with that person? Think about your family members, your friends. Think of someone who you don't really like. Who's the biggest jerk you can think of? Who's someone that you really hate to be around? Now imagine Jesus chasing after that person. And that's what we see here in, in these verses is that Jesus also chases unlikely people. He seeks unlikely people. Um, and think about yourself. If, if, if Jesus wanted to hang out with someone like Zacchaeus, do you think he would want to hang out with you? You don't think he would want to hang out with you? Okay, I, I, I suddenly just saw this nod. No, 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 Jesus wouldn't want to hang out with me. I think Jesus would want to hang out with you. Um, last night I had a conversation with a friend from K2, and she said, in my, in my head I can hear it. I can hear that God doesn't have any favorites. I can hear that God wants to be with me, that God loves me, but the, it doesn't, I don't feel it in my heart. So do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, I, it makes sense that, that God forgives me, that he loves me, but in your heart, there's still that part that, no, really, I'm not that good enough. There's something that I do that's really, really bad that Jesus really can't put up with. Or I sinned this one sin today, and I'm actually going to sin it again tomorrow, and I probably will sin again the next day. So 
I'm hoping that somehow you can realize that Jesus is seeking after you, that he wants to be with you, even, even if you're an unlikely person. And it made me think about people who I didn't want to be around with. And truthfully, there were a lot of stories that, that, that came to mind. But I remember 10 years ago, there was a woman who belonged to a very small religious group that had, has nothing to do with Utah. And I was really suspicious of her. Uh, this group was secretive. They seemed to be manipulative. They seemed to be about money. They had strange beliefs. And so this woman brought this project to the Attorney General's office, and I was really suspicious. And I was suspicious about her. I really didn't want her around. And uh, I, I kept that, I thought, to myself. But a, a couple of years ago, uh, she mentioned to our administrative assistant that she showed up and she said that this is the first time Paul looked like he was happy to see me. And that was convicting, because even though I thought it was just going on inside my head, it translated the way, I, the way I treated her. And so I asked her if I could go to lunch with her, get to know her, and um, actually it gave me a chance to apologize for not treating her very well. I found out about her, about her family, about what she thought about Jesus. And actually this person who I'd made an enemy had suddenly become my friend. And that's what happens. When, when Jesus comes inside us and we get to know people, that enemies can become friends, even if they're different, even if there's, there's something you don't care about that person. Um, so I, I was thinking a lot about the people that we see here at K2, and we saw in this video earlier that we have people attending K2 who don't have a place to stay, people who are out here on the street. Are you willing to enter into their world and become their friends? Uh, a few years ago, I, I felt bad about the way uh, the Christian church and the gay and lesbian uh, communities were getting along. There was a lot of hate. There was a lot of bad talk going on between them. And so we organized a dialogue between evangelical Christians and the gay and lesbian community and had a real deep and meaningful conversation. And now those people are friends. And I know Jesus loves them, and he, he wants them here at K2 to come closer to Jesus. Um, since we're here in Utah, has anybody here actually met a Democrat? Because Jesus loves those Democrats. <laughs> he loves the Republicans too. Um, Jesus loves everybody. And sometimes we really have to, to get outside of our circles and be with different people who are used to being with because God has a message they can share with you and you have a message you can share with them. Um, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you feel like there's no justice if this person is forgiven or that your standards will be compromised if you hang out with a person like that. And I know that's, that's a real thing that happens within the church. People think, well, if I hang out with this person who's a known sinner, then people will think I'm a sinner or people will think that I'm accepting what this person is doing. And really what it's saying is, is that you're accepting this person as one of God's children. And we saw that recently in, in, in March. Uh, Pope Francis stunned a lot of people when he washed the feet of two Muslim female prisoners. He said he did it to, quote, communicate a message of love to us all. I'm hoping some of you saw this picture. But here's the leader of the Catholic Church, the largest Christian church in the world, kissing the feet of two Muslim prisoners and kissing the feet of women, which was unheard of. Nobody had ever seen a pope do such a thing. And I believe what Pope Francis did was put into practice what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 46 and 47. 
He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Again, we have this theme that tax collectors, I mean, if there was a Gallup poll at that time, I'm guessing tax collectors and pagans were probably in the lower percentile as well. Uh, my wife, Jenna, pointed out to me on Facebook that a lot of times people put up uh, statements and sayings, and this one really always struck her. Uh, Oprah Winfrey said this, surround yourself with only people who can lift you higher. Surround yourself with only people who lift you higher. Oprah is actually opposite of Jesus on this because Jesus wants us to be around people who we can lift higher rather than surrounding ourselves with people who can lift us higher. Um, over in the white box, my friend uh, Luther Ellis is preaching right now. And I was sharing with Luther my story about the debt collectors, and he started telling me, me his story as well. Luther says that whenever he gets in front of a crowd like this, that people don't really listen to him. They don't pay attention to him until he tells people that he played for the NFL. He says their faces change. They suddenly take interest in what he has to say. And not everybody knows this, but I, I, I really know nothing about sports. I really don't. <laughs> you asked me what game went on last night, and I won't have a clue. And so I'm, I'm not impressed with Luther. I mean, I think it's cool that he's a football player. I think that's really, really cool. I know that it takes a lot of work. But the reason I love Luther is because of what God has done to his heart, the fact that Jesus lives inside of Luther. Um, and here's another cool thing I learned about Luther just this last week. Guess what he does for a living? He's a debt collector. And uh, I talked to him about that, and I told him my experience with the debt collector, my experience with the constables, and he says he does just the opposite. He works with poor people and figures out ways so that they can pay off their debts. And he says, we collect more money, and, and the people thank him for what he does. He's actually put into practice on how you sh should treat the poor people. Luther did what uh, James, the brother of Jesus, said, how we should treat other people. In uh, James chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, he said, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? So Zacchaeus was one of these rich people, the ones who was dragging the poor people into, into court. But Jesus made an impact. Jesus changed Zacchaeus in a remarkable way. Which brings us to point three. Jesus makes unbelievable changes in unlikely people. Let's look again at, at how Zacchaeus responded to Jesus in verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. The amazing thing about this is that Jesus identifies Jesus who he really is, Lord. He also starts uh, confessing his sins for what he did do. He cheated people, and then he started confessing his sins of what he didn't do. He didn't help the poor. Um, sometimes it's, it's obvious to think of the things that we do wrong, but do you often think about the times that we don't do the right thing? Well, as preparing this message, I received a phone call from a, from a man who is in a lot of trouble with the law, and my initial thought was, I don't want to take this phone call. 
And then I thought, what a hypocrite I would be if I didn't talk to this person and help this person in a time of need. And so our response has to be the same. We need to respond to people out of love. So Zacchaeus responded in a remarkable way. He identified Jesus as Lord. He said he's going to stop cheating people, and he said he's going to start helping the poor. He changed. And it made me think about the response of another person who approached Jesus and asked uh, and had an encounter of Jesus. This was in just the chapter before in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. A, a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very, very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, Jesus doesn't ask all of us here to give up all of our money, to give up all of our possessions, but he does know our heart, and he knew that this man's heart was on money rather than on God. He kept the rules. He did what he thought was right, probably went to church, probably was nice to his parents, probably did all the good things, but when Jesus finally confronted him and said, come follow me, he said he wasn't willing to do that because he wasn't willing to give up his money. So what, what do you need to do in order to be saved? What, what do you need to accomplish? What work must you do to have eternal life? Well, this is how Jesus answered the question in John chapter 6, verses uh, 28 and 29. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the work, the thing that we are required to do is to believe in Jesus, who God has sent. What did Zacchaeus do at this time to be saved? He hadn't stopped cheating people. He, had, he, uh, he really hadn't done anything. The only thing he did was he, he acknowledged who Jesus was and said he wanted to change. And on that day, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Now, the story of Zacchaeus is one of three of my very favorite stories in the Bible about how we are saved, how we have eternal life, how we get to go to heaven. Uh, another story happened to Abraham in uh, Genesis 15. Abraham had a vision that God told him he was going to have descendants and he was becoming a great nation. And in verse 6, we see how Abraham, then known as Abram, responded. In Genesis 15:6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to, credited, that's a hard word, credited him to righteousness. So Abram, who got the added ham, Abraham, <laughs> believed in God, and because he believed in God, God declared Abraham righteous. Abraham actually was, he was like you and me. He did good things, he did bad things, but once he put his faith in God, God said that he was declared righteous. The third story would be the thief on the cross. You recall when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves. Uh, there was a thief on each side while, he, while they were hanging, preparing to die. And one thief looked over to Jesus and said, hey, if you're really Jesus, if you're really the Lord, why don't you just bring yourself down? And was mocking him. But the other thief responded in a much different way. In Luke chapters 23, uh, verses 40 through 43, but the other criminal, the thief, rebuked him. 
Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are just getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So again, we see this man who actually hadn't accomplished any good works. He had not been baptized. He had not been going to church. He had not been doing anything. For all we know, all we know is that he was a sinner. And yet, once he put his faith in Jesus, he was promised that he would be with Jesus in paradise. So Abraham, Zacchaeus, the thief on the cross... They were not saved, they did not receive salvation because they were good, but they, they, they were declared righteous because God is good. So, what does this mean to you? If you're a believer in Jesus, then Jesus is inside you, and Jesus has called you to go seek out those who are lost. Stop getting mad at people for not changing and introduce them to the, to the God who can change everything about them. If you're unsure if you believe in Jesus, you're not alone, and we honor your journey of faith. Uh, but we're confident that Jesus is going to continue to pursue after you, that he wants to know you, he wants to be with you, he wants you to understand him. And we hope that you will consider the remarkable claims of Jesus. He claims he is God, and because he is God, he loves you, and he has the power to change you into what you were designed to be. If you are truly just a new person kind of checking this thing out, I would invite you to go to Base Camp, which starts this Wednesday here at K2 at 7 o'clock. It's awesome. It's just kind of an introduction to some of the basic beliefs here at K2. So Jesus forgives people and changes them, but remember this. Remember this when I change the page. I'll tell you what I should remember. <laughs> he says... Uh, once, once you accept Jesus, you don't get to do whatever you want, but you will do things differently because of the way Jesus changes you. So right now, I'd like to invite the band up, uh, give them a few minutes to play. I've heard these guys play. So you're, you're in for a real treat. The, the music today is absolutely awesome. Um, I do want to share you with one thing about Zacchaeus before we go, is that the name Zacchaeus means pure and righteous. Zacchaeus means pure and righteous. Nobody around him could see Zacchaeus as being pure and righteous, but Jesus did. Jesus saw what was really inside Zacchaeus and made that change. So to sum up our story, we have this tax cheat named Zacchaeus. Find salvation after seeking out and believing in Jesus. In other words, Jesus seeks and changes unlikely people in unbelievable ways. So we should never, ever give up as someone as being a lost cause not even us. So can we pray? Father in heaven, thank you uh, so much for this day. Thank you for the people here. Thank you for seeking after unlikely people like me and, and like the rest of the people here today. God, we just ask that we would have the courage to love people who are unlike us, to love people who are not loved by others, and to let them know the power and the beauty of knowing your son, Jesus. We offer these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.